So today's lesson is one that I think is really important for all of us. Something that we have to reckon with as, as Christians in a difficult and troubling era. So for today, we're going to look at a fairly long scripture passage coming from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. I'm going to go ahead and read that now, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. So John 11, 1 to 44, starting with the death of Lazarus. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he told the disciples, or he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and... Uh, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that your God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. 
When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, to them, unbind him and let him go. All right, my friends, there is something I have got to tell you, and I'm going to say this with a heavy heart, a heart that honestly has seen some stuff lately, but a heart full of love for all of you nonetheless. Friends, I am really worried about us, about the church. Uh, not one specific church, not even really one specific denomination, though, from the Catholics and their various scandals to the the, that painful rending of the, the Methodists and the Baptists and even our own denomination. There are definitely more than a few issues on those levels. No, I'm worried about the whole church, all of us. You see, I don't, I don't want to scare you unnecessarily, but I think we might be dying. And I think that might not necessarily be a bad thing. This isn't a new idea, of course. As I mentioned, I've preached this exact sermon several years ago for the classes of New Brunswick uh, and for some other communities as well. But the story of Lazarus, this has been kicking around in my mind for a while now. Uh, it really came back to my mind, as it often does, as I was replaying an old game and stumbled across this one little line from a random NPC sitting in the corner. There's some nondescript little corner. Uh, and it really, really got me thinking again. Now, this character is sitting there in the middle of an actual apocalypse, the end of their world. And that character says, I know I'm going to die. Again, while well, standing in the middle of an actual apocalypse. I know I'm going to die, but I just wanted a good death. A good death. That one little line got me thinking, what even is a good death? What does it mean to die well? What could it mean for a church to die well? What could, it, what could it mean for the church to die well? As a preacher, as a pastor, my instinct is to try and answer these questions, of course, by going back to the Word. And within the Word, it seems to me that if we're going to ask a question about what it might mean to die, then we probably should look for a situation where somebody did that. 
it may be a bit overused at times, but maybe the story of Lazarus can actually shed some light on this question. Now, I gotta admit, I've always had a bit of a morbid fascination with looking at this story through the eyes of Lazarus himself. Now, this story is written so that you can observe the glory of Jesus Christ, but have you ever wondered what this experience must have been like for Lazarus? I mean, his experience had to be phenomenally weird. And when you start looking at it through his perspective, the whole thing gets really weird really quickly. I mean, this guy, Lazarus of Bethany, had a pre-existing relationship with Jesus. A good relationship. When the word comes down the pike that Lazarus is ill, the disciples don't even refer to him by name. They just say, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And Jesus immediately knows who they're talking about. Lazarus knows Jesus, and Jesus clearly loves him. No names required. But we don't see Lazarus really elsewhere in the text. Not in the book of John before this point, not in any other of the Gospels, not really at all. You'd think that if they were that close, there would be something, right? I mean, if Lazarus was such a big deal to Jesus, surely he'd be up there with the rest of the disciples. I mean, surely Jesus, uh, he who Jesus loves, would have been by Jesus' side the whole time, right? I mean, Peter who? But there's no mention of Lazarus before this point, not so much as a word. After, however, we do see Lazarus in the next chapter, and, well, that's it. In fact, the last clear word in the Bible on Lazarus of Bethany is in John chapter 12, verses 10 to 11. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. Now, some of our Orthodox and Catholic siblings hold in their traditions that Lazarus somehow managed to escape this death sentence. But the truth is, we really don't have an archaeological or historical or really scriptural account of all of this. All we have to work from is what we see in the book of John. Lazarus, who was super duper close to Jesus, but for some reason didn't travel with him, work with him, or ever do anything of mention in the text up to this point, dies and is resurrected by Jesus. Then, shortly thereafter, the priests now want to kill not only Jesus, but Lazarus too, and it's all because of him, because of Lazarus. The Greek here, the autom, by the way, is exactly this. It doesn't say they want Lazarus dead because of Jesus, uh, not because of Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus specifically, or Jesus in general, uh, and it doesn't say it was because he was restored to life, but it's just because of him. Lazarus, the individual, not necessarily that resurrective act. So in less than a chapter, Lazarus has gone from who? To Jesus' bestie, to marked for death on account of being a gigantic thorn in the side of all the chief priests and scribes and what have you. What happened to Lazarus to cause that kind of serious character development? Well, to put it simply... He died. Both historically and exegetically, we tend to hear Jesus' words on the subject as kind of intrinsically self-proving and self-defining. He says, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And the lesson we all too often take away from this is that Lazarus' death was so that Jesus could basically show off. Uh, Lazarus died to prove that Jesus is capable of bringing his butt right back to the mortal world where everyone can see it. Physics be damned. We read this 
that this is being for God's glory. And we mean that we read that that means it's a demonstration of divine power, a show of strength. But what if this is telling a totally different story? What if Lazarus's death isn't proclaiming Jesus's raw, unbridled power, but the necessity of death? What if God never intended to show power, but instead to show what happens when we find or even embrace a good death in Christ? And Jesus says it right there in the middle of the passage in a verse that is often quoted, but perhaps just as often misunderstood. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. The life we have through Jesus comes on the other side of death. We believe, but we still die. Our faith leads to death. Our path goes through there. We can't avoid it. To follow Jesus is to walk directly into death, but somehow come out the other side. Like Lazarus, we come back out the other side changed, not the inexplicably beloved unknowns who were sick unto death, but the followers who stand with Jesus to the point where we are invited to a shared space on the cross. Our pursuit of God's justice putting us directly beneath the powers that oppress and oppose. When we believe in Jesus, even though we die, we still live. And everyone who lives and believes in Jesus can hear Jesus' words calling us to a new life on the other side of that death. What is perhaps to me the most striking thing in the resurrection of Lazarus, what really seals this in for me, is Jesus' command itself. Whenever he heals, uh, Jesus tends to use a lot of passive expressions. That's a tough one to pronounce. Uh, for example, that's in Matthew 8, and that can be understood as be made clean. It's not really speaking to one person in particular. It's simply commanding a thing to be. Now, the interesting thing about passive commands like this is that they don't require any real agency. A passive command is Jesus commanding the forces of healing itself. The person being healed is immaterial. Their agency isn't a factor because Jesus is commanding that healing take place. But with Lazarus, he doesn't say, be resurrected. Instead, he says, deuro, a straight-up active voice command directed to Lazarus himself. Now, to me, this is huge. Unlike every other target of healing, all of whom were passive recipients, subjects of healing, Lazarus here has the agency of choice in the situation. The resurrection here does not hinge on powerful forces that only Jesus controls, but on whether or not Lazarus chooses to come out at all. Lazarus gets to choose to leave behind the things of death. Lazarus has the choice to listen to the call of Jesus, set aside his grave clothes, and step out into the sunlight as a resurrected, renewed person ready to follow Jesus or to stay behind in a grave built upon all the things he used to be. And I don't think it'll come as a surprise to anyone. I don't think it did earlier when I say that the church is dying. Again, not our church specifically, not our denomination in particular, but the whole church universal. And fewer and fewer people are coming in the doors of any old church. Christian nationalism in America has all but eliminated any shred of social credibility we might once have had. And more and more people are looking to the church and realizing that whatever it is that we are now, 
they can do without. Every day, more and more churches are closing their doors. Youth programs that used to number in the dozens or more are now lucky to see even one or two people show up. Our congregations age, budgets tighten, and the sickness is following us all unto death. Just like Lazarus, we, who Jesus loves, are ill, and the grave is our destination. This shouldn't really be a surprise to any of us, not really. I mean, we, we all know it. We've all seen the writing on the walls. Mene, mene, tekel, parsin. God has numbered the days of our kingdom and brought it to its end. But, unlike Belshazzar, we walk in the footsteps of Christ. Our death doesn't come to us like the Chaldean kings of old, like that unnamed character in the corner of that digital sanctuary. Ours, ours can be a good death. In Christ, we can choose to be resurrected, to listen to the command of Christ and hear the word of God calling us to come out. We can't avoid the death that is coming. But our past goes through death, not to it. Our faith extends beyond death, overcomes death, becomes stronger in death. Our lesson from Lazarus, not just as individuals, but as leaders in our churches and in the world, our lesson is that we need to face the death that is coming. Not try to avoid it, not build up programs to be a bulwark against decline, not to go out in search of that innocuous peace that is the absence of conflict rather than the presence of justice. We are not called to seek mealy-mouthed compromise or avoid involving ourselves in God's work of justice in the world out of the risk that it might offend some people. We will never be able to stave off death through good marketing or broad demographic appeal, recasting Jesus with a, a skateboard and a backward hat rather than a whip of cords. For the church that we are, for the church that we have become, there's nothing for us but death. Instead, we need to reckon with the fact that our Christmas season ends at the cross. Following Jesus must necessarily lead to death. The death of all those things in us, of us, and about us that aren't of Christ. And once we follow Jesus to the grave, after that last bell has rung, after the last door has closed, after the last aged donor has taken their money and left, and the lights have gone out in the sanctuary for the last time, in that last lingering moment of silence. Listen then for the word of the Lord, like the whisper after the storm, calling us to leave behind the things of the grave, calling us to leave behind the sickness that brought us to this place, calling us to leave behind our pettiness, our bitterness, and our fear, calling us to leave behind our misogyny, misgendering, misgivings, misrepresentation of the gospel that calls for all of us to be free, not just those on one side of an arbitrary border. Listen for the word of the Lord, calling us to leave behind the grave clothes of indifference and neglect, born of our own fear, to leave behind the questions of what if no one comes to church? And to start asking what would happen if we really and truly came ourselves. Listen to the silence. The silence of all the voices that used to be among us. Our black siblings, our LGBTQIA siblings, our foreign siblings, our refugee siblings, and all of the rest of God's children who walked away from us because they couldn't stand the pain of being torn between the love of God and the oppressive silence of a well-meaning yet fearful church. Listen 
to the silence, dark and foreboding as the grave, and hear the word of the Lord calling to us in love and excitement at the work that is to come. Come out. Let's go to work. Thank you.